Welcome to the NARPM Podcast, where we bring you the most in-depth look into the property management industry. We discuss hot topics with property managers, vendors, and those that support the property management industry. The National Association of Residential Property Managers is the recognized leader in property management. Our host is Pete Newbig, co-founder of Empire Industries Property Management and co-founder and CEO of VPM Solutions, where property management meets global talent. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are that of the host and are not necessarily those of NARPM. Now, here's your host, Pete Newbig. Welcome to the Norman Podcast, and thank you for joining us today. However you may be listening, iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, or through any of the podcast platforms, thank you for being here. I am your host, Pete Newbig, and we have another great show today. We're interviewing Joey Coleman, award-winning speaker and author of one of my favorite books, Never Lose a Customer Again. For almost 20 years, Joey's helped organizations retain their best customers and turn them into raving fans via his entertaining and actionable keynotes, workshops, and consulting projects. He has a long history of energizing and motivating audiences to enhance their customers' experiences. He's an award-winning speaker and the co-host of Experience This podcast and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Never Lose a Customer Again. We'll be talking to Joey here in a few minutes, but first I want to talk about our hot topic, the hot topic of the day. So because we have Joey Coleman on and Joey's going to talk a lot about retention, what I want to talk, and he's going to talk about, you know, customer experience and all that good stuff. I want to talk about my hot topic today is talking about taps, two by fours and Mack trucks. So this is something that I, le- I actually learned through business coaching, right? So a tap is kind of a tap on the shoulder and that is a potential challenge, right? Maybe it's a small problem, a pinhole, as Joey would call it. And then a two by four is basically, think about it, like a two by four, it smacks you over the head, right? So this, this tap becomes much bigger and then the Mack truck. So an example might be on a tap, it might be that a property is vacant for way past the way, you know, for a long time. That's the tap. The two by four might mean we don't catch it and it sits for a lot longer. And now your, your owner is calling and he's complaining. And of course the Mack truck is that they put a bad review or they leave you or it's some kind of, uh, maybe some issue that, that causes a BBB complaint or, you know, some kind of uh, lawsuit, right? So if you don't take care of challenges, right, they become big Mack trucks. So how do you catch things that are two by fours instead of Mack trucks? And the answer to this, folks, is becoming a proactive company. I talk a lot about this in my presentation when I talk about virtual team members, and I'm not going to make this about virtual team members. What I am going to make this about, though, is how do we become proactive? Our industry, there are too many of us that are proactive. Our teams are so inundated with daily tasks that they cannot, they can't, let alone pro, they can't be proactive, but they can't even get like, they can't even message people back even when they're doing the work because they're so, they're so busy. So what does proactive mean to me? Well, it means reaching out to clients before they reach you. If I, if I'm doing my job, but a, but a client calls me and if, even if I have all the answers, as far as they're concerned, they're managing me. So how can I reach out to them before they reach out to me? That in their mind is being proactive. How do I reach out to them just because? Do I have enough time to just because, right? And how much information do we have on our clients so that we know when it's their birthday, their anniversary, you know, maybe their kids graduated school, college, high school, whatever it is. How can we call them just because and start building that relationship? When you're inundated with tasks, not only do you not collect that data, you're not even thinking about it. Right? And then know which, one, which clients are looking to buy, looking to sell, so that you can have these meaningful conversations. And then proactive to me means manage the reporting. And I'm sure there's other examples, but those, those are kind of some of the ones that I came up with. So how do you do this? Well, you have to start, you have to stop having your PMs perform these low-level tasks that they're inundated with. If they're inundated with low-level tasks, not only do they not pro- make proactive calls, but when they are receiving a call, reactionary, 
now they're just maybe looking at email or trying to get other tasks done as that client is complaining about something. They're not even able to give them full attention because they're trying to do so many things because they don't want to work till 10 o'clock at night or over the weekend or however long they, they have to work to get their, to get their tasks completed. Start having your property managers manage the reporting. So instead of the property managers being taskers or doers or gophers, you actually have them being managers, not just of the asset, but of the team and of the reporting. This way, the manager, if they're reviewing by reports and they look at reports daily, weekly, monthly, however often, certain reports need to be looked at daily, certain reports need to be looked at weekly, et cetera, they can start identifying those taps. For example, a home that's, you know, not rent ready and it's been, you know, it's been in that state for seven days. A home that's days on the market is over so many days. And so they can start looking at this, start doing some due diligence into it and then letting the owner know, hey, you know, we caught this, we're fixing it, we're working on it. Again, proactive. PMs just need more time for high level thinking. They're going to be the people that you pay the most And so you want them to have higher level conversations with your clients. You don't want the client to call the PM and basically like think like they're a gopher. Hey, I need you to go buy my house and uh, fill up my pool. Yes, that's actually happened to us at Empire. What we want is we want the PMs to maybe even change. We, we actually call them client relations specialists, specialists at Empire. And we want them to be thought of as asset managers, almost like, you know, uh, you're talking to your stockbroker guy or your wealth manager guy, right? We're actually managing more wealth in a lot of cases than those guys are with the, with the wealth that's built into the portfolio that these owners have. So let's start elevating our people so they can have these meaningful conversations. And what happens over time is that you build these relationships. So when we do mess up or when we have to make that call saying, hey, your house was vacant for 13 days and we thought, you know, we just caught it, yada, yada. They're not going to um, fire us because they have meaningful relationships built with our organization. And so that's my hot topic for the day. And now... Uh, we're going to have a, a, a quick message, and then we're going to get to uh, to the meat of it with one of my favorite authors. One of the best books that I've read, read in uh, actually since I started a business, is uh, Never Lose a Customer Again. So, quick commercial, and then our 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 meeting, our our interview with Joey Coleman. Thank you. Have you ever considered hiring a property management virtual assistant, but didn't know where to start? Or have you tried hiring a virtual assistant, but you weren't satisfied with the number of qualified applicants? If so, VPM Solutions is here to help. VPM is the world's first virtual talent marketplace dedicated specifically to property management and real estate. We have thousands of talented virtual assistants ready to work for you, including assistance for accounting, leasing, maintenance coordination, rent collections, and much more. With VPM, you can post jobs, screen candidates, hire and pay your virtual assistants, all from within our state-of-the-art platform. VPM is the easy button for hiring and managing your virtual team. And the best part? VPM Solutions is 100% free to employers. That's right, free. No placement fees, no employer markups, and no hidden charges. With VPM, property managers get the talent they need while reducing costs and improving customer service. Visit vpmsolutions.com and create your free account today. Create the best move-in experience for your resident or homeowner. Citizen Home Solutions is a utility concierge service designed to assist with services needing activation prior to moving into a new home. Our experienced team will help eliminate the stress of setting up services. No more calling a long list of service providers to get everything connected and ready for move-in day. Your client will value the white glove service provided on your behalf. True, Citizen Home Solutions assist with utilities, but more importantly, we create an experience that your client will appreciate and love. Our service is free and offers you a revenue share program. Want to know more? Visit pmcpartner.com. All right, and welcome back, everybody. And as promised, I have author, speaker, and one of my personal heroes, if you will, Joey Coleman. Joey, you spoke a few years back at the PM Grow Conference in Austin. Unfortunately, I did not attend that conference. But my business partner, Steve Rosenberg, was amped up when he heard you speak, and he brought your book and gave me a copy. Your book, Never Lose a Customer Again, is now sort of like a Bible to me. 
Uh, I don't know if I actually read the book more than I use it as a guide now. I use so I use many principles of the book in my PM company, and I continue to use the principles in my new company, VPM Solutions. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about the book and tell us what is it that inspired you to write the book? Absolutely, Pete. Well, first of all, thanks so much for the kind words. And I'm thrilled to hear that your business partner was excited and amped up and came home and got you excited and amped up. And I and I really appreciate that you're still using the book today because to be candid, that was my goal as an author. I had spent about 20 years teaching companies how to keep their customers. You know, we work so hard to get customers. And yet so many businesses, once they get them in the door, have a tendency to go chase other new customers instead of keeping the ones that they've already got in the fold. And so I decided to put down what I had learned from speaking and consulting and working with companies around the world into a book that my goal was it would serve as a playbook and as a guide going forward and that you could read it, but then continue to come back to it year after year as you continue to enhance the experience you deliver your customers. The reality is most businesses put a lot of time, effort, and money into getting customers and spend a fraction of that time, effort, and money keeping customers, which is why across all industries globally, somewhere between 20 and 70% of new customers will decide to stop doing business with you before they reach the 100-day anniversary. 20 to 70%. Those numbers are staggering. Now, some of the folks listening may say, but Joey, you don't understand. We work in residential property management. These folks sign a year-long lease. There's no way they're leaving before that lease expires. I get it. Fair enough. However, the majority of them are making the decision about whether they will renew the lease for year two in the first three months of year one. That's what the research shows. See, a lot of property managers and a lot of apartment owners and house owners, they think, oh, well, here's the deal. Uh, We'll just send them a message like in month 10, telling them what the new rates are going to be next year. And that'll be when we really put on our efforts on retention. You know, what can we show them in the last 30 to 60 days to get them to sign and keep going? And it's like, no, friends, they already made that decision a long time ago. Yeah, there, there's so many things that we can dive into and, and maybe we will uh, later on here. But uh, one is you're right. We used to, at Empire, we used to spend so much money about getting a client, but we had zero budget on retaining clients. <laughs> some, yeah. some probably management companies have like a slush fund where it's like, oh, you know, it's like a mistake fund where uh, right. like 1% or like a half a point of my revenue is like to make people happy, right? Right. Well, and Pete, what's, what I love about that, if I may, They refer to it as a mistake fund. And here's the interesting thing about a mistake fund. By the time you're spending the mistake fund, the mistake has already been made. And the mistake that's been made often is one that it's very difficult to recover from. In the converse, if you would have spent a little bit of money, much less than is in the mistake fund, into some surprise and delight moments, into some ongoing strategic appreciation, into some continued care over the life cycle of the relationship, you actually have to spend less when there's a mistake because you've built up goodwill. You've made deposits into the karmic bank account that your renter is saying, you know what, this didn't go well, but you know what, they've been, they've been pretty good to deal with thus far. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them some grace. I'm going to give them some understanding. I'm going to let it slide a little, or I'm going to give them some you know, some time to resolve the situation, whatever the mistake is. What amazes me, Pete, is how many businesses can tell me to the dollar how much money they spend on advertising. They can tell me what their conversion rates are. They can tell me their last campaign, how many, how much they spent and how, what the ROI was. But if I ask them how much of the annual income that you make from a renter, Do you put back into reinvesting into that personal relationship with them? It's as if I've asked them the theory of relativity. It's like, they're like, I have no idea that I was told there would be no math. In addition, how much money are you spending and how much time and effort are you spending in strategic appreciation of the owners that you're serving? See, a lot of people think, well, as long as they got tenants, man, they must be happy. Nah, not anymore. Like that may have been the case 30 years ago, 40 years ago, but that's not the case in 2022 and beyond. 
We want to feel like we matter, whether we are the renter or the owner. And that's the difficult challenge that a property manager has. Because at the end of the day, you've actually got two customers. You've got the customers that are the renters and you've got the customers that are the owners. And you better be paying attention to the retention on both of those or else you're going to be in trouble. Agreed. There's a lot to unpack there. I'll just say uh, one of the things that I learned through NARPM, uh, I think Bart Sturzel, who's a past president of NARPM, he actually taught me a, a thing that w- what we do is called the tenant appreciation package. And we went out and we would buy gift cards and movie tickets and we would send them gifts every, uh, you know, in between Thanksgiving for Christmas, you know. And that was just one little thing that I learned through NARPM. And that was, uh, that actually helped retain people. We didn't send it to the, to the residents that were behind in rent, by the way, or, or the ones that were being <laughs> evicted. But, uh, but that, was one, that was one thing that, that you can do. And there's so many more things that we can do, right? Just, just servicing the maintenance tickets, like you're saying, is not enough. That's just doing the job. Exactly. That's that's the Annie up chips to sit down at the table to use a poker analogy, right? You get to sit down at the table and be dealt some cards if you are replacing light bulbs and fixing door jams and unplunging toilet or plunging toilets and, you know, stuff like that. Those those are just the the basics. That's not the thing that somebody's going to rave about. So I heard you, you know, today, obviously, you can tell that, you know, a little bit about property management. I heard you on other media outlets as well. So in your opinion, what are some of the reasons that uh, businesses in our industry lose clients, whether they're owners or residents? I think there's a number of reasons, Pete. You know, primarily, I think one of the main reasons is so many property management firms over-index on how do we solve for vacancy? How do we solve for empty units and getting people in that once those folks are in, they kind of just go into a holding pattern waiting for them to leave or waiting for the next apartment to open up and then quick, oh, let's hurry and hustle and do a bunch of stuff. If we spent as much time, effort and energy developing the relationship with the people who are already our tenants instead of seeking new tenants, it would change the conversation. You know, what do you actually know about the people that live in your property? Do you know their name? Do you know their spouse's name? Do you know their kid's name? Do you know whether the kids are playing on the local sporting team? Do you know what, how their job is going? Do you know where they like to go on vacation? Is it the kind of scenario uh, like I had with one of the property managers in a place that I used to live ago, live long ago in Washington, D.C., where when I was going on vacation, I would actually say to our maintenance guy, hey, I'm going to be out for about a week. You mind keeping an eye on the place? Just, you know, check in from time to time. You know, if you could, that'd, that'd mean a lot to me. And then when I came back, I'd bring a case of beer or, you know, a bottle of something or, you know, a gift certificate to a local restaurant or something to just say like, hey, thanks. We were friends. He wasn't the property manager. He was my buddy who was looking out for me while I was out of town. I think a lot of property managers have this belief that we need to keep an arm's distance from the tenants. We can't get too personally involved with them. At the end of the day, this is their home. We're their home provider. We're their home caretaker. That should be a closer relationship than a transactional interaction. The other thing I'll say that I think affects a lot of properties is that balance between am I serving the tenant or am I serving the owner? Because there's a lot of owners out there that are like, look, I want least expensive maintenance possible. Yeah. I don't know about you, Pete. I don't get excited about having someone come work on my house or work on my apartment whose attitude is let's do the least possible to get out of here. Okay. This is my home. This is where I live. And so I think there needs to be a juxtaposition between the responsibility for the relationship with the tenant and the responsibility for the relationship to the owner. The best property managers I know are the ones who will say to an owner, look, it's not cutting it to keep putting duct tape on this as a patch. We've got to do something more significant. We've got to come in and repair. We've got to come in and replace. And I know that's going to be a capital expenditure up front, but that is going to reduce the number of calls. It's going to reduce the maintenance expenses. It's going to increase our positive reviews. It's going to increase our word of mouth, and it's going to get our tenants to stay longer. And if I can get a tenant to stay a year longer than they otherwise would, how much additional money does that make you? Now we're having a different type of conversation. Agreed. You know, you have to remember uh, as a PM, as a property management company, the owner uh, or investor is our client. That that's our number one client. 
But I can tell you, and I know a lot of people, especially in Narpum, have gotten rid of owners. We've terminated owners because they're unwilling to, you know, to to fix, replace whatever it is with a, with a residency, especially when it comes to safety as well. But oh yeah, and at the end of the day, sometimes we have to fire our customers. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here's the crazy thing: we would think nothing as property managers of evicting a tenant who was destroying the property, who wasn't respecting the space, who was impacting the other renters we have in a negative way. And yet when an owner comes in and their behavior is destroying the long-term value of the property, it's impinging on the rights and the, you know, the livelihoods and the living space of the other resident. We think, well, they're the owner, you know, they're the client. No, it's, we, it's incumbent upon us to say, look, you hired us not to execute at the least common denominator. You hired us to grow your investment in this property. The way we are going to grow your investment in this property is by having it rented. And the way we're going to have it rented is by providing excellent service, superior service, going above and beyond. Those type of relationships, that's why you want us. Now, some of the people listening, that may not be the ethos of your property management firm. And that's totally fine. And if it's not, God love you. There's not a lot I can say that's going to change your attitude. So thanks for listening to the show. Uh, have a great day. Enjoy this free time you just found. But for all of you that are saying, I just want permission to go to the owner and say, we got to do better. Consider yourself having permission. I've given it to you. Go and run. And if they ask any questions, you can say, I got a podcast for you to listen to and send them a link to the podcast and owners reach out to me and I will show you on paper how keeping your tenants will dramatically increase your return on investment over time. It may cost you a little bit more in month one, two, or three, but you're going to make that up in month 13, 18, 25, 32. That's when the real dollars start to flow. Well, you think about it. The biggest cost to an owner is not fixing the AC or replacing the AC. The biggest cost to an owner is when a resident moves out. Exactly. They have, they have downtime. They have to fix the AC anyway at that point if they want to get a new resident. Uh, so they have to fix whatever it is that's broken. Then they have to do a turn and then they have downtime and then they have a leasing fee. So I always taught my owners, hey, listen, here's the dollar value, right? And some, some of our investor owners only think of cash flow. And I try to let them know if you're investing back in the property, that's capital improvement, which will bring you more money later on down, down the road when you're looking to sell or refinance your, your property. So those are the conversations that property managers should be having. But because we're so task oriented, we don't have those conversations because we're so busy. Right. And nine times out of 10, we're so busy slapping band-aids on things that we wouldn't have to slap band-aids on if we thought a little more long-term about our behaviors and investments. Right. You slap the band-aid instead of that one phone call where if you would have replaced it, you have numerous phone calls because it keeps breaking. And then you have, exactly. to, then you have to call the owner, the resident, the owner, the resident, and play that go-between. All right. Uh, I'm going to pivot here, Joey. So- in your book, you discuss some of the challenges between the sales team and the operations team. And I, I love this section, uh, especially when it comes down to the type of personality. And I, I'll, I'll, the example I give is like, uh, you know, you felt like uh, the salesperson is like kind of the rock star. Hey, let's go out. We're going to go party, right? And then you get to the no monster, right? So I literally was called the no monster at Empire Industries. Like as soon as we got there, like, hey, I want to do this. No, you can't do it. Well, no, like, no, that's not in the contract, right? I literally <laughs> would say things like that's not in the contract, right? So I actually lived this. For those companies that, some companies that the owner is also the salesperson and the operations staff, but many companies uh, were hiring a lot of what we call BDMs in our industry, business development managers or salespeople, and they hand off to the no monsters or the operations staff. What is some advice that you can give some of, some of these companies to reduce the stress between sales and ops? Because every industry has a stress between sales and ops. So what are some of the things that, you know, we can do to kind of reduce that stress and, and not have to have boxing gloves at our at our company parties? Well, Pete, let's talk about this at like the 35,000 foot philosophical level and then get granular with some specific tactics. So at the 35,000 foot, you know, kind of philosophical level, I am reminded of where I grew up. OK, I grew up in a rural farming community in northwestern Iowa. And if you've ever been out in rural America and driven along, you see all these giant grain silos, right, where they hold grain. Silos are incredibly useful on a farm. They are incredibly detrimental in your organization. 
When you have a silo where the salespeople or the BDM sit over here and the ops people sit over here, and when ops people get nicknames like no monster, and when salespeople get nicknames like idiot that always oversells and overpromises but doesn't deliver or I'm responsible for delivering, it creates friction. And if you don't think that tenants and prospective tenants pick up on that friction, you're not paying attention. Because they do. Not only does it reduce the morale within the organization, it causes friction with the interactions we're having with the tenants throughout the entire life cycle of the relationship. A couple or, tactical or, or things. The, or, I, the, or the owners. Or the owners. Right? Exactly. The so a couple tactical things that I think we can do. Number one, it's not just a catchy slogan from the 90s with Bo Jackson talking about cross-training, right? Everybody in your organization should understand and respect how difficult the other person's job is. How do we do this? Well, let's have the ops people do some ride-alongs with the salespeople. Have them walk along and see what's it like to show an apartment 15 times to get two applications after a whole day. Or worse, in some ways, show an apartment 15 times and get 30 applications and have to go through and try to guess which one's going to be the right one long-term. Additionally, let's bring the salespeople off of the showroom floor and off of the interactions with the customers or prospective customers and have them go around with the ops people checking in on air conditioner repairs and looking at leaks and see just how difficult the other person's job is. Because here's the crazy thing about most positions, especially in the United States, we have this belief that the other guy's job is exponentially easier than ours. And that's beautiful until you actually ask someone to go do the other guy's job. And then they're like, oh, no, I, I mean, I can't do that job. That's too much, Joey. It's like, no, let's have a feel for what the, that's like. So first and foremost, break down the silos. Second of all, cross train, get them to the feel. I'm not saying turn your ops people into salespeople, but at least once every six months, make them go spend a day with a salesperson a just idea. to be reminded that, oh, man, this is tough. Number three build some camaraderie between the salespeople and the ops people. Most organizations are great at creating sales incentives. Let's have a program where if we get this place leased out, somebody's going to Napa. It'll be exciting. We do all these great things for the sales teams, for the BDMs. What are we doing on ops? Well, if you have three less complaints this quarter than you did last quarter, we might give you a pizza lunch. <laughs> okay, that's not Napa, friends. Pair the BDMs with the ops people, create little teams and say, here's the thing. We're going to take your sales numbers. We're going to take your retention numbers. We're going to combine those. And as a team, this is how we're going to decide what the awards are. Oh, now we're talking about a different conversation. Now we've got salespeople who are going to want to bring in the right kind of tenant because they're going to want to help the numbers on the retention side. For an owner, another thing you can think about, and I see this a lot with sales, and this isn't to bag on salespeople. I was a salesperson. I understand how this works. A lot of organizations incentivize salespeople on new leads closed. We got a new lead. We close the new lead. We've got a tenant. That's great. I understand it. What I'd like to see more organizations incentivize on are getting people in the door that will stay in the door. So when that new tenant re-ups for another one-year lease, very few organizations kick a commission back to the original salesperson. Why not? Why not say to the salesperson, hey, you're going to get, and I'm making these numbers up to illustrate the point, but you're going to get $200 when you close the first one. And then when they renew, you're going to get $300. Now, some people look at that and say, Joey, but why are we giving them more money out of the back end? Because it is more valuable to get a renewal, that extra $100 we're paying the salesperson, I will save that in advertising costs, in turn costs, in empty days floating, all of that stuff. I will make that money up right quick. I would rather have my salespeople going, I think I've got one that'll stay here for three or four years. Those are the kind of tenants we want to be bringing in, not the tenants who are just like, yeah, I'll see how this goes for six months. We'll, you know, and then we'll, we'll decide. No, you, you want the longer term relationships. So there's a couple of philosophical and tactical ideas of how you can break down the barriers between sales and ops. Nice. I like it. I like the boxing glove idea too, though. We just have a party. Yeah, that, that works too. That works too. You know, <laughs> 
Now, when I owned my property management company, Empire Industries, we were ever growing a company, but we were losing clients just as fast. Got to the point where a business partner wanted to create a retention department. And I know some of the bigger companies like AT&T and Comcast have these departments. What would you say to someone that wanted to create a retention department to save unhappy clients from leaving? Yeah, so here's the interesting thing about a retention department. Lots of times it's the right attitude with the wrong execution. Now, it can be the right attitude and the right execution, but you mentioned AT&T and Comcast. Let's be candid. If you've had an experience with one of those retention departments, it looks a little something like this. Yeah, I'd like to cancel my account. Oh, really? Um, We'd love to have you stay. I know you're paying $140 a month now. We can give it to you for $135. No, actually, I've just decided to cancel. I'm interested in moving somewhere. Okay, no problem. What about $130? Yeah, no, um, I, I, I want to cancel. Okay, for 115, we can keep you in. The, should I just sign you up for 115? And you're not even listening to what I'm saying. That's the problem with the typical retention pro- program or the re- typical retention department. They are so over-indexed on retention via reduction in price that they quit listening to what the customer is actually saying. Now, if you want to create a retention department, I'd like to have it be the eyes and ears department. What is the eyes and ears department? The eyes and ears department job is to keep their eyes and their ears open on every customer at all times to try to spot hiccups, to try to spot defection signals. What do I mean by that? Things that that tenant might do that are an indicator that they might be thinking of moving on somewhere else or that there might be an indication that something is awry, right? When you walk by and it doesn't look like the apartment's as clean as it usually is, when uh, they're a little bit late on the rent a couple times in a row and something's going on and we decide, oh, we're not going to say anything because if we say anything, they might stop paying altogether. No, go have the conversation with them. Say, hey, I noticed you've been late a couple times in a row. Is something going on? Is everything okay with your finances? How can I help? That's being a decent human being. Most tenants are more than willing to enter into an agreement and to pay their rent consistently. Now, are there exceptions to the rules? Yes, but if there's one thing I wish every company on the planet, whether it's in property management or elsewise, would quit doing is stop making your policies and procedures for the 2% of bad eggs that you're going to run into. Stop doing that. Treat more people with respect. Treat more people with dignity. And those 2% that are going to take advantage, you'll spot those and you can kick them to the curb. That's fine. Meet everyone else with a little bit of grace. One thing that I thought was interesting, you know, most leases, it's like, oh, if your rent's five days late, it's a $50 charge. Every renter in the history of the world has for some reason been late on a payment. It could be they were on vacation. It could be they had a death in the family. It could be that they just forgot to put it in the mail. Their life is busy. They had the check ready to go. It was in the envelope and they forgot to mail it. How would the conversation be different? When the first time that happened, you got a personal call from the property manager and the property manager said, hey, look, I wanted to let you know your rent showed up on the seventh instead of the fifth when it's supposed to. So according to the terms of the agreement, you need to pay $50. However, we love having you as a tenant. We understand that things come up from time to time. I don't even need you to tell me while it was late. If you want to tell me why it was late, I'm happy to listen but you don't have to. What I'm going to tell you is we're going to have no $50 charge this time. Now, I can't do this every time. And if you find yourself in a bind where you're not going to be able to make rent on the 5th, just send me an email. Give me a call. Let me know. I'm happy to work with you. We want to be working with you. We consider you family. You live here in our building. You're part of the team. We're part of your team. Let's just work together and stay in close communication. I don't know about you, Pete. That's a completely different conversation than most property managers have the very first time somebody misses on rent. So a couple of challenges there, Joey, is as, as an, or as a, as a property manager, we have to, we have some call for housing, we have to treat everybody the same. And we also have to abide by the written contract. If we don't abide by the written contract, then the judge can throw out an eviction or whatever. And, and if I give somebody one, you know, a late payment off, we have to have a policy that's going to give everybody one. So it's, it's, you know, so I understand the concept. We just, as property managers, if you listen to this, we have to make, make sure that we, we 
are still within legal, the legal aspects, and we don't want to mess around with fair housing. I'm a big fan of Ab- absolutely. Well, Pete, let me let me take it one step further, if I may. So I'm a recovering attorney, which most people listening to the show may not <laughs> know. Right. I used right. to be an attorney. So here's my thought: I would be willing to bet that the majority of property managers have not had that conversation with their lawyer. They have accepted the fact that, oh, fair housing. Oh, we got a judge could throw this out. Let me tell you, if you find yourself in front of a judge and you say, you know, your honor, here's the thing. We operate our our units with dignity. We do our best to meet people where they're at. We gave this person a pass on their first one. You're right. We absolutely did. That was not required to do in the contract. We went above and above and beyond, kind of like the law does regularly to take into consideration the circumstance of the client in front of you, as opposed to just throw the book at them. If in your estimation, your honor, that means that we should not be able to evict this person who then didn't pay rent for eight consecutive months after we give us it. You know what? We fall at the mercy of the court. (laughs) Let me tell you, having been in the courtroom for years, 99 times out of hundred, that judge is going to go, you know what? Thanks for being decent. And you know what? This person is a problem. They're out. I'm not giving legal advice. Let me be clear. Okay. I'm a recovering attorney. First steps admitting you have a problem. There's 11 steps after that. Moral of the story here is have a conversation with your legal team about which aspects of your policies and your procedures are required and which ones are convenient or which ones have been put in place to make it easier for you to not go above and beyond and have something to fall back on. Another thing you said as well is the eyes and ears department. And I just love that. I think that's a, that's a great way of saying it. I used to call them taps, right? So you have taps, two by fours and Mack trucks, right? And a tap is a tap on the shoulder, meaning something is about to cause a challenge here, right? And it could be anything from maybe, maybe there's a vacant property and it's days on the market is a little bit long. And we know once it hits a certain threshold, then our client, the owner is maybe going to leave us. Right. A tap could be a number of maintenance requests and there's lots of different taps. And what I've tried to always what I tried to install in my in my property management business was I wanted to have enough people to do all the tasks that my property manager can be elevated and can be that eyes and ears person. They're the ones that are proactive, not reactive. They're the ones that are looking at reports because the reports will teach you will show you the taps. And so if you can get your property manager to get from underwater to above water, they review the reports, see the taps, and they can do some of the things that, that Joey here is saying to do. And it's also, it's in his book. So I love that eyes and ears department, though. That's a great way to say it. So Joey, in your book, you talk about the customer experience. For our listeners, can you explain the difference between the customer service and customer experience? Yeah. And Pete, you were just hinting at it with your TAPS conversation, right? So customer service is the assistance or the advice that is provided by a company or an organization to the people who buy or use its products or service. Customer experience is how customers perceive their interactions with you, what they feel. Think of it this way. Service is reactive. Something went wrong. We better do something about it experience is proactive. How can we get ahead of this before it turns into a two by four or a Mack truck? See, I think the best companies in the world are ones that recognize that there's a time and a place for service and experience, but you need both. You have to have the teams in place ready that if something does go wrong, we can respond to it quickly. And we see that a lot in property management. A lot of property management organizations are really good at that. Hey, there's a leak, we get it fixed. Hey, there's a light bulb out, we get it repaired. Hey, there's a slippery spot here, we get it taken care of. Where we don't see as much is the experience. And we see a lot of organizations say, well, we've got a customer service department, so therefore we've got a customer experience department. No, you don't. You've got a reactive tool. What you need is a proactive tool. You need the eyes and ears that are paying attention to what could go wrong. What are the things that are happening here that are indicative of a slight little chink in the armor now that could result in a giant gaping hole three months from now, six months from now, a year ago. And in my experience, the very best property managers on the planet are the ones who naturally have that ability. They have the ability to see, oh yeah, see this little thing, right? This is a pinprick right here. 
But if we don't pay attention to this, this is going to be a gaping, festering wound. And we got to get on it sooner rather than later to avoid what it has the potential to become. One of the things I always say is if the property owner calls us, we, he, in his mind, we're not managing that property, right? But if we call him with the same problem, now I can have all the answers. When he calls me, I can have all the answers. He still doesn't think that I'm managing the property. But if I call him with the same challenge that, that he called me on, now he thinks I'm managing the property. And so exactly. that is the proactive versus reactive uh, in my brain. And so you're saying exactly. if I'm proactive, that actually provides, a, that's not customer service. That's actually providing a customer experience. Correct. And Correct. By, and by so let's be candid. For the owner, the customer service is collecting the rents, doing the maintenance making sure the the wheels, the cogs are moving the way they're supposed to. Customer experience is, hey, owner, I figured out a way that we can reduce the number of days that a place stays open. I figured out a way that we can make a capital investment here that maybe is going to cost 10 grand. But based on what I'm seeing at other locations that we're involved with or we know, this $10,000 investment here is going to result in $50,000 in increased rents over the course of the next year. What do you think? Now we're having a different kind of conversation. Now we're treating the owner like a partner as opposed to like a customer. And that's where owners start to feel very differently about us as project managers as well. Because now they're like, hey, you're not a vendor. You're my friend who I've trusted with operating this investment property that I own. It's funny. I always call us as property managers gophers. Like owners feel like we're gophers. Hey, go for this, go for that, right? Like, hey, you need to do this. And we don't, we don't get to elevate and have these conversations that you're talking about, Joey. And so if we can become more proactive and have those conversations, well, now the owner elevates you and he sees you as an asset manager, not a, not a property manager or not a leasing person or not a maintenance coordinator. And so as more property managers can get more tasks off their plate by hiring virtual team members or lower level people to do that work, they can elevate, they can see the taps, they can have better conversations. And then that provides a better customer experience, which then in your estimation provides longer term residents and, and owners and clients and less churn. Absolutely. And not only in my estimation, all the data shows it. Research from Harvard Business School, Stanford Business School, Bain and Company, all the major consulting firms in the world have found that a 5% decrease in churn. So if we get 5% of the people who were going to leave to stay, that increases profits, not revenue, profits 25 to 100%. Now, some of the people listening, Pete, just drove off the road. They're like, oh, my gosh, I was told there would be no math. What is going on, Joey? This is ridiculous. Let me break down these numbers for you real briefly. Each customer that we bring into the fold costs us money. We've got the time that the apartment or the unit is empty. So we've got that dead time that we're trying to recoup against. We've got all of our advertising costs. We've got our sales process, all our built-in costs that we have to get them up and running, maintenance fees, you know, all the things that we have to do just to get them in the door and make things happen. Each additional dollar that they pay us, especially after the first year, becomes more profitable than the first dollar. Why? Well, because we've already recouped all of our marketing expenses. We've covered a lot of the maintenance stuff. We've been able to defer things across time. So uh, we want to get dollars later in the relationship. It's not even about the rent increases, although let's be candid, those happen too. And it's about trying to get more of those profitable dollars later. That's why a long-term customer who's staying there longer is more profitable because we've already covered our operating expenses with that person, not to mention our operating expenses as a business. Every owner knows that we have to have a certain number of units rented to justify paying the property manager. And if we go below that number, Now we're having to pay out of pocket and we're losing money on this relationship. And a lot of owners, as you know, their big thing is cash flow. Mm -hmm. How much cash is this kicking off? That's what they're paying attention to. If you become more focused on retention, that cash flow will hold steady and increase over time. And that's how you become an indispensable partner instead of a gopher. I love it. All right, in your book, Never Lose a Customer Again, you go over the eight phases of the customer experience in depth. 
For our listeners, can you go over the eight phases just at a high level, bullet point them? I know I'm asking a lot here. And- <laughs> no, no, it's all good, Pete. Yeah, this is funny. There's eight phases, right, of the customer journey. I'm going to give this kind of the rapid fire version so that everybody has context. And then we can dive deep into any of them that you want to talk more about. As a little context, these eight phases happen in every business around the world. Okay. This is happening with your tenants. It's also happening with your owners, right? So regardless of which way you're thinking of the customer relationship, this is happening. And they all start with the letter A. And the idea behind this is not to confuse you, but rather if you're getting all of these correct, it's like getting straight A's on your report card from the customer. They think you're getting great grades. They're excited. Everybody's doing well. So phase one is the assess phase. This is when a perspective tenant is considering whether or not they want to rent a place in your building. Okay. In common parlance, we call this marketing and sales. This is where all the interactions are happening while they're assessing where they want to live. And you're trying to convince them you want to live here. Or, we or, then go, or a property owner assessing if he wants to, if or, he wants you to exactly. And on the property side, it's, you know, a property owner thinking, is this the management firm that I want to hire? Or do I want to go with this other management firm? Or what is more often the case, do I just want to do it? myself. Okay. Let's be candid. That is the major competition that you have as a property manager. It's not the other firms in your region. You're right. It's the owner deciding just to take care of it themselves and slap it together with two handymen and an HVAC person. Right. (laughs) I mean, that's let's be candid. That's how it works. All right. So that's phase one. Phase two is the admit phase. This is day one of those first hundred days of the relationship that are so important. The admit phase is when the prospect acknowledges that they have a problem or a need that they think you can help them with. The owner says, oh, I'm tired of managing this myself. The property manager can take care of this for me. The tenant says, oh, I have no place to live. This is a place where I can live. The admit phase is where all the magic really starts because this is the first real you know, interaction where they transition from being a prospect to being a customer. We begin the relationship. Almost immediately after this happens, we go to phase three, the affirm phase. Now, I'd be willing to bet, and I'll just ask here, even though I can't see it. Everybody who's listening to the show, raise your hand if you've heard of the phrase buyer's remorse. Okay, that sound you just heard, Pete, is all the hands of everybody listening going up because we've heard of buyer's remorse. Now, if I were to ask you, do you have a system and a process in your business operations designed to address the buyer's remorse that we scientifically know every customer feels when they make a purchase? There's a lot of hands going back down. Not many people have this in place. This exists as a tenant. This exists as an owner. They begin to doubt the decision they just made. Your job is to reaffirm their choice, remind them why you're going to be the right solution, and make them feel good about the decision that they decided to do business with you. We then come to phase four, the activate phase. This is the first real moment of truth, right? This is when the tenant moves in. This is when the owner says, okay, we're into it. I've now turned over the building to you or the complex to you. Don't make it happen. In that first moment of truth, we want to energize the relationship. We want to activate things. We want to let them know that doing business with us is going to be unlike any business experience they have ever had before. We want the best move-in days ever. We want the best first tour with the owner ever. That's the standard we need to be delivering on, on phase four, activate. We then come to phase five. Now, Pete, I will tell you, and for everybody listening, phase five is where most businesses start to fall off the rails. This is the acclimate phase. In the acclimate phase, we help the customer get familiar with our way of doing business. We've got to hold their hand. See, on the tenant side, you've maybe had dozens, hundreds, maybe even thousands of tenants come through these units. But to that new person moving in, They don't know where things are. They don't know what they're supposed to do if there's a problem. And we're saying, gosh, come on, read it. It's in the handbook. Or, oh, we already told you. Or it was in the lease. Or in the PMA. Hold their hand. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Hold their hand. Help them along. You don't like to read long agreements either. So why are you asking your tenants to? The owners, it's the same way. What are you doing? They probably have had bad experiences with property managers in the past, either others they've worked with, which is, by the way, why they came to you, because they left who they were with before, or their bad experiences themselves. And them thinking like, oh, my gosh, these guys can't handle it. Well, at least when I was handling it, I knew it was getting done. They forget the bad parts of what they were doing when they were handling it. They only remember the like, I immediately knew everything that was going on, except you actually didn't know everything that was going on. You understood about 5% of the things that were going on because the other 95% of the things were falling through the cracks. 
in the acclimate phase, you want to hold their hands and help them so that we can get to phase six, the accomplished phase. The accomplished phase is when the customer achieves the goal they had when they originally decided to do business with you. As a tenant, they're moved in, they're situated, they're feeling good, and they have a cadence going on. See, a lot of people think, well, for the accomplished phase for a tenant, it's the night they get them moved in. I don't know about you, Pete. I moved a year ago and I've still got boxes that aren't fully <laughs> unpacked, right? We're not totally in the accomplished phase yet. What we need to do is keep holding their hand and working them through acclimate until they get to that accomplished phase. For the owner, it's that state where they reach where they're like, you know, I really haven't had to think a lot about that building for the last few weeks. It's been quiet. That must mean things are good. Or it could mean things are bad. The best property managers are making sure that the owner is never wondering, huh, I wonder what's going on. They're keeping them informed so that as they accomplish those feelings of confidence, those feelings of trust, the property manager is right there delivering them. We then come to phase seven, the adopt phase. This is where the customer becomes loyal to you and only you. The tenant's going to stay even if there's a rent increase. The owner's going to stay even if there's a hiccup and we have a unit sitting empty for a while. They are committed. They are adopters. And then last but not least, we get to phase eight, the holy grail, nirvana, the advocate phase where the customer becomes a raving fan, referring friends and colleagues alike. On the tenant side, they're telling all their friends to move into the building too. On the owner side, they're saying, you know what? I didn't tell you at the beginning, but I've got 17 other properties that I'd love to explore having you guys help me manage. That's what we're all trying to get to. The problem is most property managers are trying to jump from phase one to phase eight without taking the necessary time to walk through the other faces. And then we're saying, yeah, so what other uh, investment properties do you have that we might be able to manage? Dude, I'm not even sure you can handle the one I gave you. And I gave you the low-hanging fruit one, okay, as a tester. You know that, I know that, and you're already asking for more. Prove that you deserve more. Or the tenant, we're saying, you know, the tenant moves in and that week we're giving them a little card that says, by the way, if you refer someone else to our building, we'll give you a hundred dollars off rent next month. And they're like, I don't even know if I want to live here. I've moved my stuff in, but I don't know what you're going to be like. I'm not burning my social equity, my social capital by referring my friends into this building. Now, if you deliver and you deliver again and again, you get into a situation like I did when I lived in an apartment complex in Washington, D.C., where by the time I moved out, there were about six apartments that were rented because they were my friends. Because I said, you want to live in this building. This building's awesome. This building's got a great maintenance team. This building's got a great property manager. There's no BS. They work with you well. If there's a problem, it gets fixed quickly. Otherwise, they leave you alone. Because at the end of the day, that's what most tenants actually want from their property manager. Listen to the mic drop. Here it is, folks. Most of your tenants actually want to be left alone. It bugs you when they call you to fix something. Do you know that they're bugged to have to call you to fix something? They don't want you in their apartment. They don't have to figure out a time when you can come by and fix stuff. They just want it to work. This stuff isn't rocket science. It's about caring for individual people, treating them with respect and dignity, and looking for ways that we can deliver the kind of experiences that are remarkable, that is worthy of that person talking about with other people to say, you'll never believe what happened today with my property manager. And that can be the tenant or the owner saying that. Joey, that is, thank you so much for that breakdown because if you want to learn more, I highly recommend Joey's book. Joey, we're going to be right back. We're going to do a little commercial break and we're going to come back for the, the lightning round. We'll be right back. Woohoo! Did you know that most tenants struggle to come up with a large sum of money needed to move into their new rental home? Let Renters Insurance Solutions help you solve this problem by giving tenants another option for security deposits. Property managers can make up to $200 per door annually with our programs. Learn more at our website, yourris.com. That's Y-O-U-R-R-I-S.com. Renters Insurance Solutions, your experts in property management and insurance. PestShare, a pest control amenity for your resident benefits program, starting at just $5 per door. You can give your residents the pest control coverage they need. PestShare will even pay for the expensive infestations like bedbugs and cockroaches. End the debate over who pays for pest control. 
while PestShare turns an expense into added revenue. For more information, check out their website at pestshare.com forward slash property managers. Scaling your business means juggling many moving parts, leaving you wondering how to manage it all. How can you keep your eye on growth and streamline your operations? At RentBridge, we've created the Property Management Operating System, an ecosystem for property management marketing and process automation, where you can view and take action on the most important aspects of your operations, from sales and new owner onboarding to leasing, collections, renewals, and more. By bringing operations and marketing under one platform, you can have end-to-end -end visibility of your owners, tenants, and vendors from the first moment they interact with you, allowing you to add more doors with less effort and scale a truly profitable property management business. To learn more, visit rentbridgegroup.com today. All right, welcome back, everybody. We're, we got Joey Coleman's going to get on the hot seat here, and he's going to do the lightning round. He has not seen these questions, and he probably hasn't listened to our podcast yet, so he probably has no <laughs> idea what those, those, those <laughs> I have no are. idea where we're going, but I'm excited. I'm, I'm this glorious mix of anxious and terrified at the same time. Let's see what we got, Pete. All right. What is one piece of advice you would give someone just starting out in business? Oh, you have time. You have a lot more time than you think. You know, I think so many people starting out in business are like, I got to be crushing it in month one. Friends, trust me, you actually don't want to be crushing it in month one, because if you start crushing it in month one, month two is going to be horrible because you are going to be completely overwhelmed. Be patient. Let it build up. Stay focused. Stay committed to what you're doing and play by your own timeline, not any timeline you've read about in a business book or heard some personality talk about on YouTube or somebody on a podcast. Just keep your eyes on the prize. Keep focused. The prize goes to the person who keeps running, right? It's like a race. But here's the deal. The race isn't about who crosses the finish line first. The race is about crossing the finish line. So just keep running. You've got time. Be patient. So funny, man. I am actually running a marathon this weekend. We're, we're taping this in April. I'm running a marathon. And everybody's asking me, well, what's your goal? What's your goal? And my goal is to finish. <laughs> yeah, just keep running. And most people my, will tell my, you that actually, have done marathons. I used to run cross country. I've never run a marathon. But it was just don't stop running. Even if you slow down to like this super slow jog where it feels like you're barely moving, don't stop. I'll take it one. Momentum I'll, works. I'll take it one step further. My goal is actually to get to the start line to start. There that's, that's <laughs> hey, the there you go. Yep. That's, that's also a great piece of advice. Nine times out of 10, people aren't even willing to start. Yep. All right. Does pineapple belong on pizza? Oh, only if there's Canadian bacon to go with it. Otherwise, absolutely not. What book are you currently reading or one that has impacted your business or life? Oh man, there's so many, so many. I'm going to defer to the what, what book that are you, you haven't written. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go to the book that I'm currently reading because that will be the one that I think is not only, it, because if you ask me to say, okay, Joey, what, what book has influenced your business? I mean, literally it's tens of thousands of books. Right. The book I'm currently reading is called Imaginable, How to See the Future Coming and Feel Ready for Anything even things that seem impossible today. It's by a woman named Jane McGonigal. Okay, this book just came out. Jane is a game designer. She designs scenarios and hypotheticals that help us to envision the future. This book, I'm you know a chapter into it. I'm loving it already because she offers a framework for how to see around corners, how to think about what's coming in the future for your business and to be prepared for it. Thank you for that. Which Marvel character do you most associate with? Oh, this is a good one. My boys, I've got a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. We just finished watching the whole Marvel epic series, 20-some plus movies. Some people are judging me right now for watching those with kids that young, but you know, <laughs> such is life. We, we had some cover the eyes moments. Um, you know, I think I would say the character that I hope to be most like or that I, I like the best, and there are many, but I really resonate with Tony Stark and Iron Man. And here's why. 
Here's a guy who thought he was doing the right thing, thought he was moving along on a path, realized that there were some other consequences to the path he was on and decided to get on a different path, a path that was more about helping, serving, teaching. Now, he also is a tragic hero in the sense that he has his flaws. He has the things that he did wrong, but you can't deny that in the end, he kept trying to do the right thing, even when it ended up being wrong and moving forward. So yeah, I, I think Tony Stark's got some uh, some interesting character aspects of himself. By the way, that is the best answer I ever had on what Mark had. Normally, I just get, I don't know, the Wasp or the Hulk. <laughs> so thank you for that. My pleasure. What is one challenge that you are currently facing in your business? Oh, great question. I would say the biggest challenge in my business right now, especially as we're hopefully, knock on wood, coming out of COVID. I mean, I pre-COVID... I spent about two and a half to three weeks out of every month on the road speaking at large events and conferences. And regardless of where you're listening to this in the future, you'll know that in 2020 and 2021, there were no live conferences anywhere. And so it was a real change to my business. Thankfully, I was able to do a lot of virtual and hybrid presentations. I did a lot of consulting, so it worked out okay. But where I'm trying to figure out now is what role large venue events are going to play in my future. I love them. I'm just not sure that we're going to see as an industry, many of those come back because people have realized that they can sit at home and listen to a podcast or they can watch a hybrid stream. Yeah, we love being together with other people, but the parts that we loved compared to the parts we didn't love, the travel, the rubber chicken in yet another ballroom that has the same kind of carpet. You know, there are aspects of it that weren't as exciting that we kind of glossed over for the people. And I think as we see more and more virtual reality and alternative reality options, we might be able to fill in some of those people components in a way that I'm not sure that we're going back to a ton of big conferences in the future. Maybe we'll see. Well, I will say this. We just got back from the Narpum broker owner. That was last week. Joey and I are, are, are taping this right after the broker owner. And we actually had more people than we did pre-COVID. So nice. I think you're going to see a jump of people wanting to go. And then it might level off and go to kind of what you want. But everybody's itching to get out and see friends and, and all sorts of. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and to be very clear, I am too. I'm super excited by that. I'm just wondering when you ask about like the future of yeah. the business or the channel, I'm wondering what is the future for in-person events? It'll be interesting to see. Other than the NARPM podcast, which I'm sure you'll be a subscriber moving forward. What is a podcast that you recommend? Oh, I've got one that I wish more people knew about. And if you enjoy books, this is a must. Okay. It's called Three Books. And it's hosted by my friend, Neil Pasricha. What Neil does is he interviews people and he asks them, what were the three most transformational books of your life? Now, I will tell you, if you love books, this is a dangerous podcast for your wallet because I cannot listen to an episode of his show without buying at least one book. And often I'm buying all three books that the guest recommends. It's a fantastic group. He interviews everybody from librarians and booksellers to famous folks you've heard of. Uh, he had Quentin Tarantino on his podcast recently. You know, he's had Ryan Holiday on his podcast. He has, you know, well-known writers and speakers and celebrities come on his show too. So, so it's called Three Books by Neil Pasricha. Great show. I'm going to check that one out. What do you prefer, dogs or cats? Birds. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, Joe, you survived the lightning round. So Woo! just want to say thank you so much for spending time. I want to say thank you so much. It's a commodity that, that you know we don't have an infinite amount of. So if somebody wanted to either buy the book or get in touch with you, how, how can they do so? Yeah. So the book is a bit, is called Never Lose a Customer Again. It's available in hardcover and ebook and audiobook. If you like the sound of my voice, I narrate the audiobook so you can listen to it. It's available wherever you love to buy books, okay? Online, offline, your favorite local store. They can all get it. And I would love it if folks would check out the book. The best place to reach out to me is on my website, which is joeycoleman.com. That's J O E Y, like a baby kangaroo or a five year old, you know, Joey. Coleman. 
Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N, like the outdoor camping equipment company, but no relation, joeycoleman.com. Uh, the other thing is, if you're a fan of podcasts, which clearly you are because you're listening to the Narpum Show, we have a podcast. I say we because I have a co-host, Dan Gingas, called The Experience This Show. We're in season nine. It's all about creating remarkable customer and employee experiences. It's a short show, half hour every week, three different stories in that half hour where we basically give you little morsels of a customer experience and employee experience delight to hopefully tell the good stories of customer experience. See, we believe that there are plenty of folks out there sharing the bad stories and, oh, this went wrong and I can't believe it. Our show is all about the good stories and hopefully providing some inspiration to business owners and managers and operators around the world of how they can create the kind of remarkable experiences that will keep their customers and employees coming back for more. Thanks again, Joey. If you want to join NARPM, please go to NARPM or NARPM.org or give them a call at 800-782-3452. If you are looking to reduce stress on your team and you want to hire remote team members, then go to VPMSolutions.com and book a meeting with me, yours truly, Pete Newbig. Joey, thanks again for being a guest on our, our podcast and we'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks so much, Pete. This has been a production of the National Association of Residential Property Managers, the recognized leader in property management, along with your host, Pete Newbig, CEO of VPM Solutions, where property management meets global talent. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are that of the host and are not necessarily those of NARPM. If you have a hot topic you'd like discussed on the podcast, please email us at radio at narpum.org.